0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Hey, it says in Matthew 24, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Be ready, be ready. I'm always amazed at how much Jesus says, Be ready. Are we ready? It also says in Matthew 25, Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. You got to watch, man. You can't fall asleep. You got to keep your lamps burning. Are you thinking about this stuff? I'm thinking about this stuff, man. He's going to come back anytime. Trump is going to sound. It's going to sound. Remember, man, when that happens, you're not, you're not thinking about the stuff on TV and the stuff in your driveway and the stuff. You're, all you're like goes. Whoa, here comes the savior of the world, and where am I at with him? Remember, remember. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Let's live like it. Amen, church? Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up. Come on. Come on. Yeah, I was clapping to try to wake you up, but you want to clap about that too? That's great. That's great. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, this is, this is true. We're not talking about is this going to happen or it might happen. This is truth. This is reality. You are God. You are sovereign. You are Lord. You are in control of every person who's ever lived. You came. You lived. You died. You rose again. You ascended to the Father. You are sitting at His right hand right now. And the moment will come soon when the Father says, my son, it's time. It is time for you to return to finish what you started. And I just marvel that you will sweep down and gather your church. And God, I pray we're ready. I pray. We are thinking, singing, praying, loving, just so ready in our hearts and spirits, God, to say, yes, Lord Jesus. And here we are. Here we are, God. Take us. Take us and allow us to see the total victory over sin, the complete annihilation of Satan and all his demons. And just the understanding of eternity is in our midst. Oh, God, wake us up to this is what life is about. This is, this is, this is why we exist. It's for, it's for these purposes. And so in that truth, I pray that you will allow us to see, oh, the trivial emptiness of our world. And instead, Lord, to see the beauty and the glory of our Savior. It's why we gather. It's why we preach. It's why we sing. It's why we pray. It's why we fellowship with one another. It's why we baptize. It's all for this and for your purposes. So use it now, Lord. Use it now. Take this time. Multiply it amazingly and productively and fruitfully for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Please find a Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation uh, chapter 2. And we'll be uh, starting in verse 18 uh, together today. And we're in our series, Word uh, for the Church. A word for uh, the church. It has been a fruitful time. We're praying for that today uh, as well. Um, like we often do, I want to recap where we've been, maybe because you're joining us, maybe because you appreciate, like I do, repetition. It helps so much. So here is a summary of where we've been within the series. We can get that on the screen. I'm hoping right now we can do that. There we go. Okay. So a letter to the love lacking was week number one. That was the church of Ephesus. A lot of good things going on in that church. But Jesus says, but I have this against you. You've lost the love you had uh, at first. Then week two, the church in Smyrna, a letter to those who are suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. A very important word uh, for us and the reality of our culture. Uh, last week was a letter to the sword of faithful. Uh, this was the church in Pergamum. Uh, they were faithful, sort of, a kind of, almost, you know, a little over halfway, whatever it might be, they were kind of it, but they let, they let compromise enter into the church uh, through the teachings of Balaam, if you will remember, and that was a very serious problem to Jesus. So we saw a letter to the sort of faithful, and then now today, um, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, today's a serious one. Um, today is uh, very important, and... Um, I mean, what do you say about, you know, kind of the content of what we're seeing today in the church of Thyatira? Uh, Jesus is making it abundantly clear that he really cares about sexual sin. Uh, he really cares about this. And he's going to tell us why. And so, um, again, it's, it's going to be a bit of a, a tougher day in that regard, but yet I believe it's going to be a good day um, and an encouraging day because it's God's word. It's not my word. It's it's God's word, and so we approach this, though, with, I, I'm praying, though, a sense of, like, okay, I need to really listen. And uh, some of us here, this really does pertain to, to some of us. Uh, this particular issue is destroying our lives. This particular issue is on the verge of destroying our family. Uh, this particular issue is, is killing, It's killing our society and killing forms of the church. Killing, killing parts of the church. Killing. So that is why Jesus says... Um, I'm not good with it. And that's why he brings a letter to the church in Thyatira, and that's why he's so serious about it, and we need to be as well. It's interesting how much our culture just is obsessed with this, and Jesus, he has very specific things for us here. So let's start with Revelation 2, verse 18. Um, Instead of reading the whole passage, I'm going to read just one portion. We're going to stop, and we'll talk about that, and then we'll go. So Revelation 2, verse 18 says, And to the angel and the church in Thyatira... Uh, right, so let's just stop there. Um, each week and we have examined the city that we've kind of ventured to, and this week it's the city of Thyatira where the church is located. Um, this city was the least important of the seven cities. Okay, so You can, if you want to, you can draw your comparison to um, our society and our kind of area right now, which you deem is the least important city around us. I'll let you make your claim for that, and maybe I have a couple of thoughts in my mind, but I won't share them publicly in case I offend anyone, okay? But this was the least important of the seven cities, but it actually served as the gateway to the capital, which was Pergamum, okay? So if we get our map out here again, map we've used in the past couple of weeks. So here's Thyatira, and notice dotted line, a road here that goes into Pergamum, And so if you had to get to Pergamon, you had to go through Thyatira. And what Thyatira became was, again, a gateway to get here, but it was also a military city. Thyatira was a, a military town. And what happened was, they kind of positioned Thyatira. If the enemies were coming in to try to get to the capital, they had to go through Thyatira first... But Thyatira wasn't very well fortified. It was in a very uh, flat uh, area, and so it was hard to kind of build up any kind of significant resistance. But the enemies would come through and have to get through them first in order to get to Pergamum. So what happened through history was Thyatira was often leveled and then built up. Uh, leveled again, it was destroyed, and then built up again. Okay? So it's kind of where it was least important, but important in the sense that it was a gateway to get to the capital city of Pergamum, of the province of Asia Minor. Okay? Um, Thyatira is also a city of trade and of business. As I mentioned, it was a, a military town. Uh, the one mention of Thyatira, outside of Revelation was in Acts chapter 16, where it mentions Lydia, who is a worshiper of God. Remember Lydia, it says she was from uh, Thyatira. And God had amazing work uh, through Paul's ministry in Thyatira, or in Lydia's life from Thyatira. And Lydia was a seller of purple cloth. And purple cloth was a big deal, but what we know from Thyatira is that it excelled specifically in the manufacturing of a purple dye. And so this certainly was where Lydia got this from. This is where her business excelled from, because she was from the city of Thyatira. Now what about suffering for Christians within this city? It doesn't appear to be as high as, let's say, Smyrna or Pergamum. However, the city did boast of a temple-dedicated to the sun god, Apollo. And that could be very well uh, be the reason why Jesus now begins uh, with this, or in this letter, in verse 18. Look at the rest of verse 18 where he says, um, The words of the Son of God, uh, whose eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, notice here, if you've been paying attention to the book of Revelation, the titles given to Jesus here in verse 18, eyes like a flame of fire, feet like burnished bronze, they are directly borrowed, taken from his description in chapter one. So these are taken right from chapter one, the glorious, majestic description um, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the term son of God here is probably a slam on the sun god Apollo. Okay, It's probably a slam writing to the church in Thyatira. Yeah, you got some sun god? You got some sun god, Apollo? Well, how about I tell you the words of the son of God, all right? You got some sun god? Well, how about the words of the very son of God himself? When, when, when the letter begins this way, the words of the son of God, this is without a doubt declaring the divinity of Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ, the authority. Of Jesus Christ as the judge of all peoples. Notice again in Scripture, yet another verse detailing the deity of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, being God Himself, okay? The words of Him who is the Son of God. So this is not some uh, nice advice from a life coach, all right? This isn't some uh, make yourself feel good kind of word. Say, believe in your, by the way, are there any life coaches in the room, okay? I don't want to try to offend you unnecessarily, all right, all right? What I'm saying is, though, any life coach who has any kind of sense of, of biblical understanding and would never walk around saying, believe in yourself. Really? Believe in this? No, oh, thanks. No thanks, this stinks, okay? But he's awesome and he lives in me and I believe in him though, all right? But this isn't some uh, nice life coach advice. No, no, these are the very words of God. This is the power of God that we're seeing before us even here uh, right now. And then the text says in verse 18, "Um, him who has eyes like a flame of fire. What does that mean? It's cool. It's cool is what it is. Or it's red hot, eyes like a flame of fire. Remember when, um, remember when Superman had X-ray vision? Do you remember that? Whatever he did, you know, and kind of looking. I love speaking about Superman in the past tense, like he actually existed. All right? Fictional, man. He's fictional. But he got to see into certain things and kind of, you know, go through a wall, whatever. Well, well, Jesus Christ here, he is, he is claiming we know he has all. Penetrating vision to see right into the human heart. He can see through every church, every pastor, every sense of, of leadership, every individual in this room. I'm sorry that you know this, but Jesus can see right into your heart, man. All penetrating spiritual x-ray vision that is awesome. Let's see Superman do that. Pfft, Superman. You know, you know, I I thought about this, though. This is a little bit off topic, but very much on topic at the same time. You ever notice how much our our world right now is longing for superheroes? How many more superhero movies can they make? Like, how many movies has Marvel put out? It's unreal, man. It's like the same guys, and they have like five, six, seven, eight movies now, and each individual within that kind of team has their own movie and and multiple episodes within their thing, and all these superhero movies. What does that tell me? That, That our world is dying for a superhero. Our world is longing for someone to save them. Our world is longing to sit before someone that they can call Savior, someone who can rescue them, someone to believe in. I mean, all the money we're putting in, all the fantasies we're drawing up, all the, all the crowds it's drawing towards these fictional movies. You want a superhero? I'll give you a superhero. His name is Jesus Christ, man, and he's real, and he is Savior, and he's coming back and he's conquered sin, and he's going to ride on that white horseman, then that's a superhero. But it amazes me. Our world is longing for our Savior. We got one. We got one. He's revealed in the book. He's revealed in the Bible. He is so awesome and so glorious and so beautiful and so powerful. And the moment he returns, the moment he returns, the moment he returns, and there he is in all his splendor and glory. And nothing else matters but him. And he has eyes like a flame of fire. Again, a little bit off topic, but very much on topic, right? Superhero Jesus Christ, he is so awesome. And it says here, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Burnished bronze was the strongest known metal in the ancient world. So this means that Jesus is not fooling around. He's pure, he's glorious, he's powerful. Listen, listen, he will trample on sin. That's what it means there. To have feet of burnished bronze. Strongest metal known. He will trample on people, on sin. He will stamp out evil. This speaks to this entire letter. Jesus Christ is glorious. Jesus Christ is judge. Jesus Christ, listen, is the undisputed, undefeated champion of the universe for all time. I love what it said in the baptism testimony today, and I say this all the time. I'm so tired of cheering for losing teams. And so that's why then, when I'm with Jesus, he never loses. He never, ever loses. Don't you love that? I mean, just when you think he's dead, he's raised from the dead. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. God is awesome. Jesus Christ is Lord, all right? Jesus Christ will never, ever lose. I'm cheering for him, and I'm on his team, and he loves me because he saved me, and he loves you as he saved you as well. Undisputed, undefeated champion of the universe, Jesus Christ. Sign me up for that, and God has signed me up for that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're saved in him, He signed you up for that as well that's so great man feet like burnished bronze and now this takes us to verse 19 it says i know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance so now the commendation comes as an introduction with the church of thyatira and notice and that your latter works exceed the first so this is important to notice for all the conviction of serious sin that is coming and is coming Um, there was certainly some good happening within the church of Thyatira. Notice this church was a busy church. I want you to see this, okay? So it was busy in love, busy in faith, busy in endurance, and in fact, it seemed like it was ramping up because it says that your latter works exceed the first. So the works you used to do the works you have presently, they've actually grown. There's, there's, there's more works for Jesus Christ that have occurred since you began. You are ramping up ministries. You are developing uh, new ideas and, and momentum for the things of Jesus Christ. But, but notice this, because we know what's coming. We know what's coming and the, and the conviction that's coming of sin. In the midst of the business and the good intentions, sin was being tolerated within the church. Sin was being allowed to exist on a grievous standard within the church, okay? So one of the truths we learn from the church of Thyatira is this. It doesn't matter how much good you think you're doing if you're tolerating forms of wickedness and evil. So, so uh, men, women, listen up. Parents, listen up. Families, listen up. Uh, friends, listen up. Church, listen up. Small groups, listen up. Leaders, listen up. Elders, listen up. Pastors, listen up. Robbie, listen up. Okay? It doesn't matter how much ministry we are doing that we think is good if blatant and destructive sin are occurring in our midst. And this was the case specifically with sexual sin in the church of Thyatira. Now what I want you to notice here too, which is easy to miss, notice the progression within the first four letters of uh, the letters to the churches in Revelation. So notice regarding truth, okay, regarding truth, notice to the church in Ephesus, they had a lot of good things. They were loyal to truth, but they lacked love. That was the, that was the real problem concern Jesus' had. But notice here, church in Smyrna starts suffering for truth. So this becomes the real proving and testing ground, right? Because we can kind of apply where we are, our society, the history of the church. So you're loyal to truth. That's, that's pretty good. But you start to suffer for truth, and now you can go one or two ways. When you start suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ, do you reinforce your loyalty to him, or do you start to compromise? And this is what we see right now in our day, and our culture. So the church in Pergamum, they began to compromise on the truth. The teaching of Balaam's came in. They started to weaken. Uh, the gospel got watered down. They started to see the infiltration of this false teaching. But notice here, we're going to see today, uh, loyalty to truth. You suffer, decisions are made, compromise. And if you're not careful, though, uh, compromising the truth will lead to abandonment of the truth. And this is what happens here in the church that we examine today. They simply, they just put they put truth aside. Well, we know what God says, but I guess we don't care what God says anymore. We abandon that, and now we're engaging in all this heretical, false teaching behavior. And if we're not really careful, loved ones, this is what happened in churches, right, 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 close to us in this nation. And this is what will happen to us if we don't if we don't reinforce the reality of the importance of truth. And this is what we're trying to do you know, I want you to see that though I think that's very important. So what we do now is we begin to see we step back enough and we, we start to see the heart of this letter and again the emphasis here is to see how seriously Jesus takes a sexual sin, okay? And one of the things as we set up the reality of this letter to the church in Thyatira is to understand biblically, have you ever noticed how much Jesus talks about sexual sin? how much the New Testament authors speak about sexual sin and the seriousness therein? Remember, I've mentioned this within this series. I want to show you in detail right now. Revelation 18 talks about the judgment of God, the wrath of God that's coming upon the system of Babylon representing the system of the world. Okay? Here's what Revelation 18 verse 2 says, describing when Babylon falls. Okay? Now notice this. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Babylon is the system of the world organized by the beast. The beast in Revelation has organized the system of the world and it's represented in the term of Babylon. It's how the world operates, it's what the world desires to be. Watch this. She has become a dwelling place for demons. Okay? So whatever Babylon is, it's completely demonic. Babylon is a system of the world. It's the satanic system of the world that in its essence is antichrist. It becomes a dwelling place for demons, a haunt or cage for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird. and Birds are often associated with satanic involvement. A haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. All of this is relating back to Babylon, the world's system of satanic behavior. Now, if we go, remember, this is the judgment of the world is really being represented in these couple of verses. If we go to verse 3 now, Revelation 18, verse 3, okay? Here's the description of the system of Babylon represented through our world. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. It's hard to miss that. So Babylon is the system of the world organized by the beast in Revelation. Revelation. And at the center of this satanic system of our world is the passion of sexual immorality, being drunk with wine in this case. And notice, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. The system of the world, satanic in its origin, sexual immorality, luxurious living, and this is the reason as a whole, that Jesus says, I'm coming with the wrath of my Father to deal with the horrific, satanic, demonic sins represented in the system of Babylon, again, throughout this world. Uh, Jesus is serious about sexual sin. Very serious about sexual sin. So here's, here's my prayer right now. So knowing what we're going to talk about right now, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if we hear his voice, God help us to not not harden our hearts as Jezebel did uh, in our text today. So now we get to um, our outline. And this is the biblical truth then about sexual immorality. The biblical truth about sexual immorality. And the first point um, is this. When it comes to sexual immorality, Jesus will have none of it. Jesus will have none of it. Repent. He will have none of it. Look at verse 20 now. Verse 20 says, But I have this against you, church. Notice that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Notice Jesus says this, and this is a theme throughout this letter too. Um, I gave her time to repent. So Jesus, he has not returned yet. Listen, he, he gives time for repentance. There is grace offered today. There is always grace offered until Jesus Christ returns. But notice, I gave her time to repent, grace, mercy, but she refuses to repent, the hardness of her heart. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So for all the good in Thyatira, this is bad, and it is quite bad. Notice there's a woman named Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Isn't it true that false teachers always seem to claim for themselves a certain title? False teachers, no one else is pronouncing. false teachers come along and say, I give myself this title, I give myself this position, I give myself this authority. That's never, ever a good plan. And this woman here, notice, is both teaching and seducing the servants of God. False teaching teaches, false teaching teaches with the goal of seducing. Now, what is she teaching? Sexual immorality, notice, and idolatry. Now, from our understanding of Revelation 18, what the Bible teaches, sexual immorality and idolatry at its foundation is a system of Satan. This is Babylon. Jezebel is under the control and the guidance ultimately of Satan himself and his demons. Okay, This is why we need to discuss the seriousness of sin. Sexual immorality and idolatry, when you get down to it at its root, it is one word, satanic. Okay? You need to see verse 24 as well. Look at verse 24 of chapter 2. And we'll get here later, but notice this. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching of Jezebel, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. She's teaching sexual immorality. She's seducing the servants of God. She is involved in the deep things of Satan, okay. So, here's a very important truth you need you and I need to understand. Okay, let's take the example of pornography right now because that's the most common example in this room right now. All the stats that are out there, it grieves me to think of the amount of men and women that are engaged in some form and some level with pornography in this room right now. Here's what you have to understand. When you are tempted to look at an issue or an image of pornography before you in lustful desires of the flesh, and you want to indulge a moment of pleasure to fulfill some longing that will last about a second, you have to understand behind that image, that's not a picture of a woman, behind that image ultimately is Satan himself. Satan is destroying lies through the pursuit of sexual immorality to literally kill you, kill your marriage, kill your family, and kill your church, okay? It is demonic. When you see that, when you are, listen, when you are indulging yourself, you are worshiping sin, and I hate to break it to you. In fact, I love to break it at the same time. You are worshiping in a form, you are worshiping demons, It's not a game. It is, it is sickly serious. Let me say that again. I, I want us to feel the sobering of the reality of what we're talking about here. When you are filling your life with pornographic material, when you are desiring to, to, to be an adulteress, when you are looking at fornicating, you, you, you are engaging in the systems of satan himself that's why jesus is so serious about this because he doesn't want his church to be brought down into the pit and the ditch and the devastation of the deep things of satan now whether this woman's actual name was Jezebel it's unlikely i mean i mean honestly who would name their child jezebel fair fair I don't recommend you name your child Jezebel, and and I don't know any Jezebels. I've never met a Jezebel, all right? But what we do know is um, this woman, this prophetess in the church of Thyatira, she definitely followed the pattern of Old Testament Jezebel. Now, Jezebel in the Old Testament was an awful woman. She was awful. Probably the worst of the worst. She was so wicked, she was so evil. And she was the wife of King Ahab. King Ahab was described as the king who never did any, who never was worse. Was just, he was the worst of the sinners. He was the most who grieved the Spirit of God. And then Jezebel's role in King Ahab's life was to sit beside him and entice him to do evil. Like when I hear Jezebel, i like, you know, kind of that. Reading scripture and just like, she just, she just she, 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 she's satanic. She is. She was an instrument of she hated God's people. She hated God's truth. She loved sin, and she loved being used of Satan. It's interesting, with Jezebel, in all her evil, she ended up suffering one of the worst, worst deaths in the Old Testament. And, and that's saying a lot for the Old Testament, you know what I'm saying? So let me, let me just read it for you here. Um, in 2 Kings 9, this is, this is how Jezebel dies. Let me just read it. You can, you can sit and, and listen. I was going to say enjoy, but I don't think this is much to enjoy here. But listen, when Jehu, king of Israel, came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. Can't you just, I mean, just even when she paints her eyes and adorns her head, why does she do that? Because she's evil. I'm not, I, don't, I don't even know what I mean by that, but she just everything she does is evil. So, so I think she's evil, all right? So, so I think arrogance, there's so much pride here. There's like, you know, whatever she's doing, she's propping up herself. Anyways, verse 31. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said... Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master, trying to give shots here to Jehu and make accusations against him and trying to say that, that his reign will be so short, as Zimri's was? And he lifted up his face to the window. This is one of my favorite part. lifted up his face to the window and he said, who is on my side? Who? So Jehu gets there and she's up some kind of castle thing or window up there and, who's on my side? And then it says two or three eunuchs popped their head out and they're like, she's evil. We're on your side, you know, we're on your side. And he's like, okay. And he's like, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses and they trampled on her. Then Jehu went inside and ate and drank. Interesting. And he said, see now, maybe he's just so sick of her, I don't know, see now to this cursed woman and bury her for she's a king's daughter. But listen, but when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Elijah the Tishbite. And this is the word. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. That's a horrific way to die. All that's left is her skull and her palms and probably because her mind was the one that devised all this evil and her hands was the one who delivered on this evil. I and mean, that's, a, that's a horrific because she was horrific and the Lord dealt with her. But okay, okay, think clearly. Go back to the church in Thyatira. This was the spirit that was being tolerated within the church this kind of activity, this kind of mindset, this kind of evil was being tolerated within the church of Thyatira. Now listen, listen, if we tolerate sin, what happens? When we tolerate sin, it begins to teach us and it begins to seduce us. That's the greatest problem. It's so interesting, it's fascinating to me too, that in our society, listen carefully, in our society right now, Intolerance is really the only universally accepted sin. The person who's intolerant, that's wrong, but everything else goes. But Jesus says here, He says, the fact that you tolerate that, He's like, that's why judgment's coming. Because my church cannot tolerate such evil. Love ones, think about that. That's a word for us today. That's a word for us today. We can't go with culture, the tolerance of culture. We have to go with Jesus. And at times that will be intolerant for the glory of the Lord. Look at verse 21 again. Um, I gave her time to repent. There's the grace. Okay, so in some form a warning was given to Jezebel. She needs to turn from her sin, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So there's mercy here and judgment here. I give her time. She, she, listen, here's the hard heart. I refuse to repent. She refuses to repent. This is the hardened the heart, heart, terrifies me. The cal- no feeling, indifferent, don't care, in your face, God type of stuff terrifies me. I pray that we are all here today and we have a conscience that feels. We have a soul that is not so hard we cannot feel. I pray every single one of us, even here right now, we are thinking not about other people, but ourselves on some level to say, God, what do you have for me? That the heart is pliable and soft and not calloused. And, 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 and so, because Jesus will not tolerate sexual immorality. He will not, he cannot tolerate sexual immorality. But he does offer grace, you see? He offers grace. You got to hear that part today. This is the gospel. He offers grace. He gives time to re- repentance. accesses the grace of God. Repentance ushers in the living water and, the, and then the love and mercy of God. But it's our job to see our sin repent and then plead for God's grace. Uh, uh, young men that are here right now, uh, turn to God and run from your sin. Turn, run, run. Be afraid of the consequences of the immorality upon your life. Husband, leave your wicked ways in what you are thinking of doing. A woman, flee from prostituting your body on any level whatsoever with anyone else beyond a husband under God, married to him. See, we need to hear and we need to understand so much of what we see, read, and expose to every single day of our lives. It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. It's all a lie. So much of it's revolving around sexual immorality which is destroying life after life after life. But see, the eyes like a flame of fire are upon this place right now. The eyes like a flame of fire reach down and search every heart and there's nothing hidden from him. But listen, but the mercy of God is also here. The mercy of God is also here and offering grace. But listen, when it comes to sexual immorality, Jesus will have none of it. Our response is repent. Here's number two. When it comes to sexual immorality in the Bible, know this, consequences will result there will be consequences for sexual immorality we must recognize that recognize that look at verse 22 now verse 22 says behold i will throw her Jezebel onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her i will throw into great i mean this is unbelievable well it's kind of believable it's just shocking but i will throw uh, those who commit adultery i will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works Jezebel's works And listen, and I will strike her children dead. Really? I want you to see behind this how jealous Jesus is for the love of his church. Do you see that? Adultery here is the grievous sin. This is sexual adultery. um, Adultery but really it's spiritual adultery. To commit sexual adultery is to commit spiritual adultery against God. I said this before, I'll say it right now. Before I would ever cheat on my wife, I'd cheat on my God. Before I'm ever unfaithful to my wife, I'm unfaithful to my God. See, it's spiritual adultery against him before it's any kind of adultery against my wife. Hey, why does Jesus take this so seriously? Because he wants us to live, loved ones. He's not trying to put commandments in our lives just to burden us and give us uh, pain in the neck. He does this because he knows this is how you live. He does this because he loves us. He says, if you're going to go in this place, you're going to ruin your life. Like, there's consequences for these things. It's the way I've designed this world. It's the way I've designed, the, the designed what life actually looks like. And the fear of God as opposed to the fear of man. That's why he says it. He loves us so much. Any parent knows that. Don't let your kid run off and just into traffic. You stop them. Don't do that, Johnny. Why? Because I love you. I'm not trying to set rules for the sake of being annoying. He's taking this so seriously because he loves us too much to let us ruin our lives. but could be absolutely devastating. But notice those who persist in such hard-hearted, obstinate sin. Consequences. Will, what kind of consequences? Well, in this verse right here. It says, um, a sickbed, consequences of sickness. I don't know what this all looks like. I'm just reading you what's right here. Consequences of tribulation. And it says, consequences of even death. I will strike her children dead. When Jesus says, I will strike her children dead, he's not talking about the biological children of Jezebel. He's talking about all those who follow her system of teaching. It's the people who come under where she is and begin to operate in this way, right? Those who ultimately follow the system of Satan or the world, the promise here is if that's all we're doing, all people are doing, they will not live. They are children of of Jezebel. So this is going to happen at end time judgment. But again, again, this is a present judgment upon the church of Thyatira. This is where it becomes, so. in some form, this happens today as well. It's interesting. Did you know in 1 Corinthians 11, regarding the Lord's Supper, it says that Paul says regarding the Lord's Supper, those who profane the Lord's Supper. That's why it's a big deal. If you are here and you're not saved, to, to, to profane, to, but they were, they were being blasphemous with this in the city of Corinth, the church of Corinth. But he says, because some of you have blasphemed, Profane the Lord's Supper, by some of you have become sick, ill, and even some have died. I mean you could read it. In some way the, the, the believers at Corinth, some of them were subject to death because they were mistreating the sacredness of the Lord's Supper. And this text right now, what we're, what we're reading is people who continue to pursue and are so obstinate and rejecting Jesus Christ and such a hard heart and spit in the face of God and, 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 just, and just detest what he is and who he is and in their sin and revel in it. He's like, sickness, tribulation, potentially death. I think some of these realities are things that maybe we don't think about all the time, but it's right here in the Word, and you have to wrestle it down as I do. need you look at sexual transmitted diseases across our world, you know, what is that? I mean, that's, that's just interesting is what I would say. It's amazing to me, the man or man and woman in a monogamous relationship of marriage under the design of God, it's incredible to me how protected that design seems to be against the promiscuity and the sexual immorality of the world and engaging all sorts of things and all the destruction that comes with it. Listen, not to mention physically, but emotionally, spiritually, relationally, the devastation that occurs. You know, I, I hate sin so much because sin ruins everything. These people who come up and, they just, and, you just, and, you, and you just weep for them because sin has wrecked their lives. Now listen, listen, all throughout this letter, unless they repent, unless they repent. I want you to hear the grace here. You're here right now, and you have conviction, Does I have conviction, all these areas, unless you repent. See, Jesus says there's time, there's grace, there's mercy. But it's the individual who says, I need the Lord, I can't do this myself. I need the Lord. Sexual immorality, though, creates such devastation. Now this past week, I was in Michigan, a little mini pastor's retreat, just with a couple of pastors. And I was driving back to Canada uh, towards Sarnia through Michigan. And I was on that very flat, such a highway, and I couldn't get over. it. I've been on this road before and I've seen it, but but this time, like more than other, I, the amount of roadkill I saw on the road, like deer specifically. I tell you, in about a driving out two, I must have saw, I'm, I'm not tell you, 50 deer dead on the side of the road. I'm like, what in the world? Some big, some smaller. It seemed like a family. of, th- And just, are just roadkill, roadkill, devastation, destruction. And I was just thinking about this text in my mind as I saw that, man. This is what sexual immorality does in so many lives. You're driving down the road in the spiritual highway, and you're seeing devastation, like destruction, life killed, life dead. Just on the side of the road, and no life. This is what sexual immorality does. It just leaves people on the side of the road dead. That's why Jesus takes it so seriously, and that's why we need to as well. And you know, what Jesus says in verse 23, the second half, he says, and all the churches will know. See, I'm gonna give this example, church. Jesus, I, I'm gonna give the example the church of Thyatira, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mine. Nothing gets by me, he says. I see everything. And he says, and I will give to you the works that you deserve. You wanna continue in this? You want to keep going on this path? You will reap what you sow. Be not mistaken. We will reap what we sow. That's what he's saying right there. Consequences will come. These are the first two points. The second two points will come quicker. They are briefer. And here's the third thing we learn about sexual immorality. We've learned this in some ways already, but it's this. Satan is all over it, loved ones. Run! Run! Run to Jesus! Satan is all over this sexual sin. Verse 24 but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, there it is, to you I say, um, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Translation, run away from this satanic teaching. Run! Run to Jesus, cling to Jesus. See, what Satan does what Satan does, right, within the church, he takes sexual sin and he dresses it up with makeup and with a nice hairdo and with these fancy clothes and often trying to put forth some sexy body in there. But the reality is, if you peel back the curtain, what you find is really there is a putrid, rotting corpse of death. That's what sexual sin is. And Satan makes it look all so pretty. And then to your horror, you peel it back, and you see it for what it actually is. It is destruction right before you. But that's what Satan does, and that's who he is. He paints it all pretty. Just like Jezebel, actually, in Second Kings 9, painting her face. There you go. There's a connection. But in reality, she's a rotting, putrid corpse of death, apart from God. You know, I always remember Rev. Zechariah being a young Christian man and just getting into ministry. And I always remember him telling this story of one of his loved ones, and and he says, how many people fall subject to a moment of pleasure and a lifetime of regret? And isn't sexual sin just like that? We're promised a moment of pleasure, and sometimes we try to look beyond, oh, this will work out great. No, it won't. No, it won't. And so often, in that moment, just, just to have a little bit of a moment just to feel some kind of feeling. And then the moment it's over, what have I done? Think about that now before you get into that situation that you can convince yourself right now it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Satan is all over it. Run. And this is when we run to Jesus Christ. You know, so we we think about this devastation of sexual immorality. And one of the things that we do, one of the things that we're taught to do, is we need to build fences in our lives that protect us from falling into sin. And I'm not against fences. I, I have fences all over my life. There's so many rules that are just in place with accountability to make it harder for me to do something and harder for someone else to do something to me. Um, I agree with fences, computer software, just regulations of who I meet with, not being alone at different times, all these kind of things. I I agree with, by the end of the day, loved ones, if your heart wants to sin, it will, okay? This is what you have to understand, and I, I pray right now in Jesus' name you will understand this in some degree more than you have before. Here's what my papa said about this level, okay? He said this, he said, we worship our way into sin and we must worship our way out. I wonder how many of you understand that. Let me explain. When we are engaged in sexual immorality, that is a form of worship in our lives. We are worshiping demons, sorry, we are. Worshiping a form of demons in terms of sexual lust, and we are worshiping because we want our flesh to engage in that. The power of ultimately breaking through sin is when your worship of Christ becomes the most important thing in your life and when he is your all in all, that is the power that breaks the desire for sin in our lives. So the fences are helpful, but at the end of the day, when you love Jesus Christ the most and you are pursuing him in worship, when your eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ, you are so satisfied in him, the world is seen for what it is. Garbage, dung, nothing, Satanic. Make sense? When we worship, okay? Building our lives in worship, in the Word, in prayer, in exaltation, in song, in devotion, by God's grace, through the Gospel. The Gospel. The gospel, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, Redeemer, the reconciler of my sinful soul to my Father in heaven, I will never die. And when we are filled with adoration and longing, I mean, again, I said it last week, let I me mean, say it again. When I'm sitting there recently and worshiping God in one of our events here, and so filled with love for Jesus Christ, I'm so amazed at when I'm, I'm so in love with my savior in the gospel and who he is. My wife is beside me and naturally as I love him more, she draws nearer to me. I love him, I love her. It's just how it works. I don't want anyone about her. I want him and then I want her. I don't want some image. I don't want some other person. I want my wife because I want my savior. do you see? This is what happens when, when he is all, he fills your mind in your heart, and starts to dictate all your affections. And then you look at the world and you say, get behind me, Satan, because that is what it is. And it's an awesome place to be when you are so transfixed with Jesus Christ and his glory and the eyes like a flame of fire and his holiness and majesty. And that is the power of breaking through sin. But if we, if we are going to be indifferent, if we are going to be apathetic, we aren't even going to try. Then we're not going to be good. But by the grace of God extended to us today, it is so awesome to be in that place of love for, for your Lord and to feel like, you know what, it's not hard, not easy, and there's a cost to this, but it's so right. It just is so Right. Come here, babe. You know, loving him. She's so right. These are the ways of the Lord. They just work. So all this talk of sin, lovings, let's end here with a real positive note. When it comes to sexual morality, ready? Jesus has defeated it. Rejoice. Jesus has defeated this sin, rejoice. And so the more we see him, the more we find out just how good he is. Look at verse 26 now, okay? So he says this He says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give to him, I will give him the morning star. So these are huge promises by Christ now to those who hold on, okay? To those who hold on, actually four truths here. Four truths on the screen for you. I want you to see this first one right here. Four truths from these three verses here. Number one, Jesus can't be stopped. Uh, therefore, neither can we. Okay. So the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, Jesus is the ultimate conqueror. You belong to him. You win. We we we've been over that. Okay. You belong to him. You win. You win. You love Jesus Christ, he loves you, you win. So Jesus can't be stopped, okay? So loved ones, um, I'll get to that in a second. I'm gonna hold that thought for a second. Jesus can't be stopped, therefore neither can we, okay? That's so awesome, rejoice. He's defeated it, he's gonna win, we're with him. Here's the second principle I want you to see here. Jesus' authority will become our authority. Notice this. To him, I will give authority over the nations. Him, the one who conquers, the child of God, the son or daughter who loves Jesus Christ. So we believe at this church, and there's different interpretations, but regardless, it's awesome. We believe authority is gonna be seen in the millennium, Revelation 20. Over the nations, Jesus Christ will come and reign for a thousand years and set up, and, and we will reign with him. But of course, in, eterna, in in the eternal state, in eternity, this is true as well. The authority of Christ, like he gives us his authority. That's amazing. Hang on, man. He's worth it, right? I mean, just listen, listen. You engage in sexual sin for a couple of moments. What a, what a disaster. The authority of Christ for all of eternity. Yes, please. Okay? Here's the, here's the third principle. Watch this. Um, Jesus will crush his enemies. Jesus will crush his enemies. says, uh, verse 27, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority From my father. So imagine um, an earthen vessel, jar of clay, smash on the ground, everywhere. Jesus is like, that's what I do to my enemies. Okay, are you in Jesus' team? I like your chances. I like your chances. Okay, hey, hey, a lot of us, we're afraid right now. ISIS, the world, economy, we're afraid, we're afraid. Listen, listen, in Jesus' name, do not be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. Listen, you win, man. You're gonna win, you're gonna win. Oh, you got ahead of me, that's okay. Principle number four. Jesus, Jesus, here's an awesome thing. Jesus will give us himself. So look at verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. Who's the morning star? Jesus. Revelation 22. Jesus is, this is, this is the promise. This is why we can rejoice. Jesus promises to give us himself. Um, that'll be good. That's something you won't be returning. That's gonna be awesome. And this is why we rejoice. This is the gospel. This is the outworking and the accomplishment of Christ on the cross being raised from the dead and making us his children. He's defeated these sins and we can rejoice. Now look at verse 29, we end here. Verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So shh, shh. Sh- 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 can you hear that? Jesus is talking. He's spoken. Can you hear him? He who has an ear, I pray you have an ear. Hear what the Spirit says. Rebuke the lies of the world. Love Jesus Christ. And watch and watch the blessing begin to flow. Listening, obeying, believing, loving. Help us, Lord.